Coming up on this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Gruber Motors founder Pete Gruber joins me to discuss his unique role in the Tesla community, servicing, maintaining, and restoring the original Tesla Roadsters as they now become collector cars. Enjoy! What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you alongside Daisy the Boxer for episode 350, a little mini milestone this week of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast. This one for April 17th, 2022. And I have been away all week with my family. So this was recorded before I left because I wanted to make sure you had something awesome to listen to uh, while simultaneously I was able to just take a little break detach and just get some nice family time. So as always, you know, this I, I'm privileged enough to get to do this a couple times a year, go away with the family. And so I, I do appreciate all of you allowing me to do that. And hopefully you enjoy the show that I've prepared for you. And this week, it's uh, I think it's a good one. I recorded this a couple of weeks ago. What you're about to hear is a lengthy conversation. It's about 55 minutes long or so with a gentleman by the name of Pete Gruber. He is the founder and CEO of Gruber Motors, and they are a service facility in Phoenix that specializes in something very unique in the Tesla world, and that is servicing, maintaining, restoring, taking care of the original Tesla Roadsters. You know, you don't see them very often. If you've ever had to take your Tesla in for service, odds are you've probably never seen a Roadster there. And there are various reasons for that. Uh, it, it's a really interesting story. And I hope you enjoy this interview. I had a really good time recording it because as you'll hear in the interview, you know, I had a DeLorean for a long time. So I'm very uh, sympathetic towards anyone that wants to take uh, their time and their resources to, to support an orphaned car because the, you know, it's not that Tesla has completely abandoned the original Roadster, but they don't make it anymore. And it represents an infinitesimal percentage of the overall Tesla fleet now. So you've got people like Gruber uh, Motors out there trying to keep these cars alive and keep them healthy and well. So enjoy the conversation and then I'll have some more uh, for you, the pro tip of the week and a bit more after the interview. So stick around, but for now, enjoy. For those in my audience who aren't familiar with Gruber Motors, can you tell us exactly what you and your team do? Okay, fair enough. Um, glad to be on your show, by the way. Um, the, um, the service that we provide is an independent Tesla repair effort. Um, and uh, initially, we didn't see very much business, of course, because everything's under warranty. Yeah. Um, as the cars began to come off warranty, starting with their first generation cars, the Tesla Roadster, about seven years ago, we started working on those. Um, we began to realize that uh, there was a market here and uh, the most current uh, vehicle that we're heavily involved in is the Tesla Model S. Yeah, the early S's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, you are servicing the Roadsters where Tesla 
not necessarily won't, but maybe isn't isn't uh, their top of their priority list. Is that fair to say? Well, that's what most people think, that uh, the Roadster is not important to Tesla. But uh, what we find is working with all of the people inside of Tesla, uh, the exact opposite is true. They're very nostalgic about the car. Excellent. They fully realize that it's uh, it's very much part of their DNA. The difficulties that they run into is um, it's been 14 years since they released the car, and many of the early Roadster people have moved on to other things, mm-hmm. other companies, and uh, some of them were wise enough to buy stock options, and they really don't have to go to work anymore every day. Sure. <laughs> And, and deservedly so, you know, they were part of, they were at the beginning of something great and, and good for them. Good for them, I say. Uh, so, you know, you and I were talking offline beforehand before we, when we were setting this up and I was telling you something I want to say to you again on the air here is that, you know, I, one reason I really wanted to have you on is because, you know, the reality is just by virtue of math, there aren't a lot of members of my audience that have the original Roadster, but... As you said, you're starting to get into Model S service now, the earlier S's that are coming out of warranty. And inevitably, you're in a position to, to grow quite a lot. And and the, the, the reason that uh, I'm really excited to talk to you is because, you know, my audience knows that I was a longtime DeLorean owner. That was my dream car as a kid that I was really lucky to have for a long time, for 12 years. And so I have a soft spot in my heart for the kind of talent uh, talented people like yourself and and the kindness of people like yourself who take it upon themselves to support an orphaned car, which the original Roadster is. So, you know, I, I'm, I wanted to ask you here of the, you know, 2,400, 2,500 or so built of the original Roadsters through, you know, your networking and, and the information that you've gathered. Do you have a good estimate of about how many of the original Roadsters are left? Well, it's not precisely a good estimate, but what we have on our website is a Roadster census. And um, what um, what the Roadster owners have been doing now for a couple of years is actually registering their vehicle um, on our website so you can begin to see how many are out there. Yeah. Um, the, um, uh, the census currently shows about 1,200 or so. Um, and 800 and something have VINs. The okay. other 400 do not. But the estimates are there are only about 1,500 roadsters left. Wow. Do you think, does that strike you as, so my my gut reaction to that, because that's the first time I've ever heard that number, that seems low to me. You know, after, it hasn't been that long, right? You know, you said 14 years since the start of roadster production, 10 since the end of roadster production is... Is that, would you have expected, would you have guessed more? Because I would have guessed more. Well, um, there are a couple of things that actually feed into that attrition. And one of them is Tesla uh, began to run out of Tesla Roadster parts. They were all custom, uh, the majority of them, especially the electronics and even the body panels. It was uh, patterned after the Lotus Elise. Right. And it would be nice if you could just go down to your Lotus dealer and get some Elise parts. But only 7% of the Roadster ended up being uh, original Lotus Elise. The second reason is there, um, of course, collision damage cars. And sure. um, uh, the Roadster was not always collectible. Um, there were 
there were often times when a car, a repairable car would hit the auction houses and it was totaled by the insurance company because hmm. there wasn't enough value in it to, uh, you know, take it seriously. Yeah. And then the final reason is we've had two fires here at our company, Gruber Motor Company, and uh, we have lost almost 40 roadsters between those two fires. So between the Tesla buyback program, which was a way for them to replenish parts and our fire, and of course the collision damage cars, um, the, uh, uh, the actual attrition in the roadsters, uh, you know, is fairly high. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly didn't want to, to, uh, pick at a, at a scar, but since you did mention it, I mean, the, the last time I did mention Gruber on this podcast was unfortunately in, in discussing the, that fire that had happened, uh, several months back and, you know, just a, a, a real tragedy. And, you know, I, I don't mean to have you on the podcast and make you relive it, but I have to imagine that making those phone calls to your customers whose cars got destroyed, probably one of the more difficult things you've ever had to do in your professional life. Well, I've shared this with people. Um, I'm 70 years old and I've done a lot of tough things in my life, but I can, I can tell you that calling those 21 owners, telling them that their irreplaceable collectible car, often considered family members, had perished was the toughest thing that I have ever done in my life. Boy, that's uh, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm picturing that. Like if that had happened to my DeLorean, I would be, I would be completely devastated. So it's, uh, I mean, the real irony here is that our company actually has rescued more roadsters than any other company I'm aware of. And yeah. what I mean by that is, We've perfected a method of um, repairing the battery packs once they become bricked, as they call it, in the roadster world. So um, we actually have uh, contributed to both the demise and, of course, uh, the restoration of many of these cars. That's a great way to look at it because you're absolutely right. Like you've taken cars that would have otherwise rotted away or, or were effectively declared dead and and uh, kept them in service and back on the road. Uh and I understand, by the way, from again, when you and I were, were chatting initially beforehand, you're in a temporary shop now in, in North Phoenix and you're building out a new one, right? Can you tell, talk a little bit about that? Sure. Fortunately, we have seven commercial buildings in our compound here. And uh, after the fire, uh, well, actually, even before the fire, we had begun renovation on a uh, much larger building for expansion, Gruber Motor Company expansion. Um we were into that renovation about two and a half months. And when the fire occurred, we just simply began to fast track uh, the new facility. In the meantime, we had enough commercial space here where we were able to move cars and operations into the other buildings. And by the way, not all the cars that were here, all the roadsters that were here perished. We had uh, two additional buildings that were actually uh, short-term storage for um for the roadsters that we were working on at the time. So it was only the cars that were in the building that were affected. There's uh, I, I've, I actually feel I've almost don't want to ask this cause I feel weird and kind of bad asking it, but there, there's so much as no doubt you've seen negativity uh, directed at Tesla. Most of it pretty weirdly unfair and, and strangely harsh. Was the the fire? What what was the cause? It wasn't anything. And where I'm going with this, it wasn't like a intentional arson kind of situation, was it? 
No, I would probably be in prison if that was the case. Well, not from you. I'm saying from from yeah. somebody that you know had ill intentions elsewhere um, in in the world. Correct, but I mean there have been all kinds of allegation and speculation. So yeah, I, I'm more than happy to to um, uh, to talk and to address all of that. The first fire that we that we had in 2017, by the way, yeah, uh, it was a much smaller building. It was about six thousand square feet. And uh, all of those roadsters lost in that building, seven of them were our cars. There were no customer cars affected by that mm-hmm. fire. It was clearly a, um, uh, an overcharging of a Tesla Roadster battery pack. This is a 1,000-pound battery pack yeah. with 6,831 lithium-ion vape cigarette cells in it. And there, there were no books written or no support or documentation on how you recover one of these. So... We were um, charging one of these packs too aggressively, and it basically went nuclear on us and began right. to shoot eight-foot flames out the top in a building that had a wooden roof, um, which is what caused the fire. Now, what we found interesting as well is once the fire department showed up, they tried foam, CO2, uh, water, of course, and nothing put out the fire. By the time the fire spread, it had... Um, then began um, uh, to move into other cars and some extra battery packs that we had, all of them about a thousand pounds. Wow. And they decided, you know what, we have no idea how to fight this fire. We can't get a hold of Tesla to get any advice. We're just going to back away. So for three and a half hours, we stood outside the building watching explosions and flames and, uh, you know, while this thing burned to the ground, basically. Um, the second fire that we had, was a bit different. Although the building was larger, it was full of roadsters because our commitment to customers has always been that we will not leave their roadsters outside. So every night we would do the musical chairs thing and move a whole bunch of roadsters inside. We had 31 of them inside the building when the fire occurred. This time, however, the fire was determined to be undetermined origin, cause and origin. Hmm. And the investigators are very thorough. Of course, they're looking for arson and the, sure. you know all of that. So they don't miss a trick. But they were focused on the electrical system. And apparently there was arcing that they feel had started the fire. But they couldn't conclusively prove that because it had gotten so hot in the building that even the copper conductors in the conduit melted. Wow. Jeez, that's a... That's I, I'm I'm picturing you now having to just stand and watch in 2017, and, and what a horrible, like helpless, sinking feeling that must have been uh, for for you personally and and for your business. I just that's uh, and the fact that you've you know continued on and come back stronger and now are, are doing that again. Uh, it's you know that's a testament to the fact that you know you 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 had every right to just fold up shop either of those times and say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't worth the trouble. I'm just, I'm 70. I'm going to call it a day here. And this is, this is not worth the trouble, but good on you for, for persevering and, and continuing to try and be a, a, a net positive in the Tesla community. Sure. You know, one of the things that actually uh, convinced us to continue, not that I don't think, I don't think we really ever considered quitting because that's not in our DNA. And by the way, metaphorically, we live in an area where uh, rising from the ashes is the appropriate thing (laughs) to do when these things happen. But um, what was really the compelling reason for us continuing was the outpouring of support 
and the um, uh, the, the the support from the roadster community was so overwhelming that it convinced us that we do serve a very useful purpose and that uh, continuing was in everyone's best interest, including even Tesla, who, um, you know, these days has a difficult time with the Tesla Roadster. And um, so anyway, that's the reason that we're uh, fighting and continuing to, uh, uh, to expand and grow this operation. Well, that, you know, I, you bring up something. I, I just want to ask you one more question. I promise I'll move on to, to happier topics here. But after either of those fires, did Tesla reach, did you hear from them? And, and sort of what, would, what did they have to say to you? You know, we did hear from them. Um, we have a partnership, a rare and a very unique partnership with Tesla. And uh, it wasn't always that way. During the first fire, for example, they saw us as a competitor mm-hmm. and uh, were confused by our success. By the way, our success has everything to do with the fact that we've been in the critical power business for almost 40 years, where the uh, technology and equipment is identical to what's in the cars. <laughs> in critical power, you have three-phase lighting inverters and UPSs and data centers, and it's the same technology. You have a DC plant or a battery system, which converts to three-phase AC to either run a bunch of computers in a data center or in the case of Tesla, a three-phase AC induction motor to propel yeah. a car. Um, so by the time after the second fire, we began to evolve a relationship with Tesla. Today, we're a vendor. We're a service partner. We, uh, we provide tech support to service centers. Um, and the support, even from Tesla corporate, was uh, beyond our expectations. I love hearing that. And that's how it should be, right? That's, and that's, if you're a Roadster owner, you want to hear that. That's, exactly. that's, that's good news right there. Uh, so, you know, let me back up for a second, Pete. I'm curious, you know, you just kind of talked a little bit about, about your, your history uh, in, the, in the industry prior to uh, getting into the Roadster game. But what's your Tesla origin story? How did you first get into Tesla? And I mean, and I'm not even necessarily talking about getting into to business as a, as a Tesla, you know, service outlet, but, but just, you know, what do you remember about discovering them for the first time? And how did you kind of come to have an affinity for Tesla and, and want to be involved? Well, two things came together. I've always been a car nut and, uh, have owned a number of, uh, exotics and, uh, uh, um, the 60s muscle cars have restored them and always been in electronics. So the, um, uh, the EV uh, program was really, would um, uh, really resonate with me. But it was in the 90s that my wife and I decided that we wanted to do something for the planet and go as carbon neutral as we can. So we got a, uh, we got a Prius. Um, and I found it fascinating that for a brief period of time, you could actually propel your car with an electric motor. Um, A few years went by, both her and I had Priuses at that point, and we realized that the batteries on these are going to fail, and we wanted to bail out before we had that big expense. So I began to look for another daily driver, and I thought, this time I'd like to go BEV, battery electric vehicle, 100%. And I couldn't really find anything. Um, This is around 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. Until I found an ad in the LA Times where somebody was selling a Tesla Roadster, a 2008. 
and uh, some um, celebrity's personal assistant was selling it and couldn't tell me who the celebrity was, but she said, you would know who it is. And of course, I put two and two together, knowing that George Clooney. Clooney had I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it was a 2008, and he wasn't very happy with his Tesla Roadster. So before I um, flew to L.A., I decided to call a friend of mine here on the local car scene who I knew had a Tesla Roadster. And I said, how do you like it? He said, I love the car, but the passenger seat, um, uh, the passenger seat airbag won't turn off. And I've got two little girls. So for safety reasons, I'm going to be selling it. Would you like to buy it? And we struck a deal. So I was um, I was driving the car to work every day. It was my daily driver. And for a year or so, it never occurred to me that we could service these things. And one day I'm taking my lunch pail out of my trunk of the Roadster And one of our field engineers that services UPSs all over the country walked by and said, what's the big black box in your trunk? (laughs) And I said, well, that happens to be a three-phase inverter. And he said, you know, we repair those. And, you know, oddly enough, that was the paradigm shift where I finally realized it looks like we've been in the Tesla repair business all along. (laughs) Why not formalize it? So believe it or not, I went out on Craigslist that weekend and I looked for Tesla Roadster service, not expecting to find anything. And I actually found someone advertising that they're able to repair Tesla Roadsters. So um, called him up, talked to him. Turns out we had a tech manager opening here at our business. And uh, he joined us as a tech manager. And part of his uh, subcharter was to develop some Tesla business for us. So he had a friend up in the Bay Area that was facing a $10,000 PEM replacement, which is the three-phase inverter in a Tesla Roadster. Right. And back then, Tesla um, and still would not um, go inside the electronics to do any repairs. They swapped the entire module. So we said, you know, send your car to us. We'll see what we can do. We fixed that PEM for $2,300 and upgraded and rebuilt it. Wow. And, of course, the word got out very quickly that there was an alternative. <laughs> and uh, from that point forward, people are sending us roadsters from all over the United States and even Canada. Oh, that's so great. I love that. What a great story. Do you, uh, you know, I know you're in the temporary facility now building out something new. Do you do tours for anybody that's either in the area or wants to come by and just see a bunch of roadsters and and check out your shop? All the time. Uh, We just had a tour come through yesterday. These days in the temp facility, I would say we get a couple, three a week. Uh, In the um, um, the facility, the loss facility, we used to get one to two per day. And uh, some of them were actually old Tesla people that uh, for a nostalgia trip wanted to go someplace where they could see dozens of roadsters under one roof again. (laughs) Yeah, I could, that I could see that would be, that would be fun for them if they, you know, because you just can't see that anymore at Tesla because they're, they're building four other cars. That's cool. Uh, All right. I got to have a little fun with you here, Pete. What is the lowest mileage roadster that you've ever seen? Since you may, you maybe have seen, it's possible that no one has seen more roadsters than you with with maybe like some of the old old guard at Tesla with the rare exception back in you know the time they were made but what's uh yeah what's the lowest lowest mileage car you've seen well um we haven't seen this one yet but it's getting ready to be posted or listed on our roadsters for sale website 
on our website, we have uh, over 30 roadsters that are for sale currently. And um, the lowest mileage one that will be coming along here fairly soon is one that has just under 100 miles. Wow. The car was essentially bought and parked and then bricked. In other words, not charged. So Mm -hmm. it's not a functioning car at this point. The next one that we have, um, it it did not come through here, but it got sold on our website. And that had 894 miles on the odometer. It also happened to have a very low VIN, which was VIN number 13. So it was a signature 100 car. Mm -hmm. And um, the next one is one that is here, and that was a 1,300-mile car, which uh, we're currently rebuilding the power electronic module on. Is uh is VIN thirteen the lowest VIN you've seen? The earliest roadster you've seen? Um, it is. Um, it was one that did not come here. The um, uh, the lowest one that actually is here now actually is thirteen hundred miles. The one that sold on our website uh, for over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. By the way, and there's an interesting story there too. And I'll digress if you like. Please. Um, when these people come to us for our free roadster matchmaking service, our goal is to, without any charge, is unite buyers with sellers. We're not involved in the financial transactions other than posting their desired uh, you know, price that they want to sell the car for. So this particular customer came to us, and uh, roadsters are currently selling for about $100,000 to $130,000 a piece. So about about back to new original MSRP then effectively. Yeah, the the original MSRP was 109 to 157k. Yeah. Um so in this case he knew he had a low VIN, he knew he had very low mileage and the one that just sold for $190,000 which is the 1300 mile car, he figured you know that his car should be worth close to that. So he was thinking about 170 180,000 dollars. I pointed out, um, and I sometimes give valuation advice, especially if the customer that wants to sell their roadster hasn't been updated and is too low, I'll ask them to refer to our website and see what the askings are so that they get more realistic. Well, in this particular case, I suggested that he's, he's got two distinct collectible elements, the low VIN and the low mileage. Why not throw out a fishing price since he's not really in any hurry to sell it? He came back to me a couple of days later and he says, my fishing price is $250,000. I said, okay, we'll post okay. it for that. He wasn't expecting to get that. He called me up two hours later after it was posted and he said, Pete, um, take the price down. I have four solid offers above <laughs> asking price. It kind of is like the Phoenix housing market, it sounded like. <laughs> well, um, and what, wait, what VIN is this? Are you allowed to say? How yeah, low this- is the VIN? Yeah, this was VIN 13 with oh, this is 13. Okay. Yeah, this is 13 with 894 miles. Wow. Um, he has asked us to not publicly disclose the final selling price, but I can tell you that it was above $250,000, which of course is above this new super roadster that is coming out within the next couple of years that will be the fastest production car ever made. Well, we'll see about that. I, uh, I, <laughs> I, they've taken the pricing down uh, from of the new Roadster from the website, so I, I have a feeling those prices might be going up, just like the uh, the S S X three and Y prices have been going up. But that's that's another uh, topic of conversation entirely. Sure. Uh, you know, on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, 
again, I'm I'm fascinated by this stuff, maybe because it's because because I had a DeLorean, so I'm you know I'm interested in low vins and high vins and special cars and unique ones. What about uh, the highest VIN car you've seen and or highest mileage Roadster you've seen? I, like, do you service, have you had any of the final five in your shop? Because I've seen one of those at some point in time. I don't remember when or where. They have like a special plaque in the interior between the seats, right? That say one of the last five made. They do, yes. In fact, the, um, uh, the final five have the plaque and we have not had a final five come through our shop yet. Um, the, what we have come through or had come through was the last production roadster. Apparently Tesla didn't really consider the final five as production roadsters. They had put those aside. Oh, interesting. Uh, they were charging more for them, but there was a big fanfare when VIN 1459 came through, which was the last production roadster, which eventually ended up going to Florida. Um, the second to last production roadster actually is a car that we own that I bought out of Chicago about uh, three years ago or so. And I was essentially rescuing the car. The, um, uh, the owner of the second to last car was uh, convinced that she was going to sell the roadster to Tesla. And at that time, Tesla had not yet revealed what they were buying them for. Mm-hmm. I knew, but I was under NDA and I couldn't tell her why they were buying it for parts. So um, I ended up asking her, what are they offering you? And I paid more than I should have for it, but I could not see one of the last production roadsters being parted out. So the car sits here. It's a beautiful electric blue, very low mileage. It sat in a Ferrari dealership for its entire life. And unfortunately, the staff there did not uh, charge it regularly, so the car got bricked or the battery died. And that was the reason that uh, it came here, aside from the fact that it was a rescue car. Well, I I, uh, I love hearing that, that you're like, uh, it's, it's like you're running a a roadster rescue in addition to in addition to a service center. How many, how many do you, does Gruber Motors, the company, how many do you guys own right now? Well, we, we lost nine of our cars in the fire. So currently we still own, I think, uh, three or four. Um, yeah, about three or four roadsters at this point. And what's, you know, I imagine you can't, you probably can't drive even four of them. I mean, I don't know how big your team is, but are like, what's the proper way to, to store, you know, cause now that these are collectible cars, you, and you says you can't leave them sitting or they're going to brick because that's how the original battery technology, you know, didn't really have those protections built in. So what's the proper way to store it? Is it just try to leave it plugged in at what? 50%. Well, the, uh, the best way currently with the battery packs becoming marginalized by age, some of these packs now are 14 years old. Our recommendation is to leave it plugged in all the time to the slowest charge possible, which is the 15 amp yellow charge cable that came with the Roadster. Mm-hmm. And the car will self-maintain. It will keep its charge at about 80 to 85 percent. Okay. And we're also recommending that they do not uh, drain the battery to low um, uh, to very low mileage levels, keep it above 30 to 40 miles. Okay. And, um, so about you know, 15 to 20% or so. 
Yes, yeah. And fortunately, Tesla is again making the Tesla Roadster battery pack. It's a very slow process in that they're all hand assembled. But um, the other fortunate thing is um, that, uh, these, um, uh, that these packs, which originally had a 10-year design life, are actually going on 14 years in many cases and still usable. So um, the book is still being written about what the lifespan of a multi-cell lithium-ion battery pack is. Well, you're, I was funny. I was just going to go here, so I'm glad you, you teed me up for this. The, uh, I wanted to ask you about the R80 battery pack, a.k.a. the Roadster 3.0. Uh, that's an 80 kilowatt hour battery pack, I believe, is what the the 80 is indicative of. the The original Roadsters, the the original packs, were they? I think they were rated at. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Around 240 miles, but uh, as as memory serves, that was on the two cycle EPA rating, so not the five cycle that we use now. So the original batteries were what realistically 200 ish miles, but this upgrade, the the R80 pack. Uh, that that was what like three hundred plus miles, right? It is, and uh, at this point, Tesla is very cautious about any optimistic projections with range because in twenty seventeen, when they first came out with this with this um, three point um, okay eighty kW per hour battery pack, they ran into problems because the cells were not up to par. The commitment was, even from Elon, that it would be a 400-mile pack. I remember that. And it that. turns out the packs did not live up to that expectation. And they um, did what any smart manufacturer would do. They suspended production on that product for at least two and a half years. So the, the, um, uh, the current pack, Tesla is not willing to commit to any kind of range. But you're correct. It's 300 miles plus at this point. And the um, uh, the original battery pack was a 53 kW per hour pack, and uh, the new one is an 80 kW per hour pack. And and I, so I wasn't aware that Tesla has again. I know you said slowly, but that they they are actively making those packs now. For I presume on a on a you know custom order one at a time, you know as as people want them basis. Well, the, yes, they were servicing their uh, warranty customers first. When you first bought a Tesla Roadster for $12,000, you could guarantee yourself a replacement battery pack when it failed at some point in the future. Uh, then they had uh, customers that, um, uh, um, uh, that had warranties on their battery packs. So they serviced those two layers first and then began to go into the, uh, the wait list. Currently, the wait list could be up to three years is what we're being told. Wow. I found that out today. And the primary reason is it's such small production volume, they don't have any robotics involved in building these battery packs. They're hand-assembled. Yeah. Um, and if you think about the number of connections on a pack, you've got 6,831 cells with two fusible links. So you double that, and that's how many connections they have to make in that battery pack with wire bonders and it's all done by hand. That's wild. And those are, uh, are, is the price still 30 grand on that? Yeah. $29,000 plus tax. Yeah. And in uh, Europe, they actually have shipping and uh, VAT uh, tax. And uh, so it, it gets up there sometimes as high as $40,000. Man, 
Well, that's I guess. Uh, but the, but the values of the car keep going up as you're as you've already illustrated that it ends up being a, a pretty good investment. It sounds like for the long term. Sure, it was a tough decision to make when the cars were selling f- for like forty thousand dollars. Putting thirty thousand dollars in a car, you know, was troubling to most people. But now that the uh, that the cars are moving into collectible status, selling for a hundred a hundred thousand plus. That $30,000 to give you another 10 to 15 years of life in the car doesn't look that bad. Now, can you talk a little bit about parts for a second? I know you've, you've been talking about the battery packs and, and how Tesla does officially acknowledge you and they are a, it is a cooperative situation and not a, not a competitive one, as you said it was early on. Uh, have you had to remanufacture parts since they were all 90s? Four percent of them were custom parts and not Elise parts, because that's what happened in the DeLorean world is uh, parts that were gone or deemed just old and inadequate had to be remanufactured. And so have you run into that with the Roadster? And, and if so, have any parts that you've had redone? I, I imagine you make improvements to them wherever you can. Sure. Uh, one thing to consider that in an EV, there is far less mechanical uh, product than yeah. there is in an in a standard ICE vehicle, and uh, you know some of the mechanical stuff is is harder to reproduce, like the transaxle in a Pantera, for example. You know you've got to get gears ground and made, and uh, it it gets uh, kind of dicey. Where the vulnerability in these electric vehicles is is in the electronics. Even though we're in communication with the original manufacturer of the electronics for the Roadster they are unable to give us any replacement product because the, um, uh, the minimum order quantity is so high. They basically have to restart a production line. And for only 1,500 cars or so, it's just not cost effective. So the only sure. way to keep these cars on the road is to do two things. You have to be proactive with your maintenance. If you've got a Chevy, you can wait till the starter motor fails. You go down to AutoZone and buy another one for 80 bucks, and you're on the road again. With a Tesla Roadster, you wait for something to fail, and you may be out of luck because if the, if the logic boards get damaged enough that it's not rebuildable, then you have to wait for a salvage car to come along or some donor car. Yeah. So proactively taking care of all of the deferred maintenance in the electronics is vital. And that's a step that most people miss in the EV world because they're still, they're still thinking ICE vehicle. They're thinking high volume production. Um, so that's the, that's the Achilles heel currently. As far as parts, um, so much of the Tesla Roadster is custom. Um, even the body panels, for example, and the frame. So um, the um, replenishing that is dicey. Um, you know, body parts, some of them can be rebuilt. Uh, the panels, for example, are carbon fiber or composites. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any shop that does well with Corvettes, for example, uh, does a pretty good job with the, with the Tesla Roadster body panels. But if you need a complete panel, then you've got um, a different problem. You have to try to find a donor car. Um, there are parts in the Roadster that are common. For example, the pumps, the Bosch pumps, those are readily available. The small fans for the condenser, the cooling portions of the Roadster. Of course, brakes and tires. 
shocks, it gets a little more dicey. You actually have to have them rebuilt in order to match what was in the car originally. Um, and then wheels, same problem there. We tried, we know the original manufacturer of the wheels, but, um, you know, the first order is well into six, even seven figures. Wow. And nobody wants to pull the trigger on that at this point. And I imagine the, a lot of these problems are because what, what I'm picturing my audience now, what I'm, what I'm hoping they're not doing is all starting to sweat thinking, well, wait a second, <laughs> the Tesla yeah. I've bought is going to just going to be this problem as time goes on. But the, the problems you're talking about are, they're unique to a low volume first generation car, right? Very much so. And I, um, I should have pre-qualified that. With the, with the Tesla Model S, with hundreds of thousands being built, this is a non-problem with that car. In fact, with that kind of volume, it will even attract aftermarket and independence should Tesla choose not to continue to make certain product for a, for a user base that's that large. The problem we face with Roadsters is no one can afford to retool and create parts for that small a customer base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to not, not that it's really relevant, but just for a little context for my audience and, and maybe even for you, like the, the DeLoreans, there were 9,000 DeLoreans built. So compare that, you know, by, but compared to the Roadster, it's quite common, <laughs> you know? So it's the Roadster really is a rare car in Very the grand much. scheme of things, which does lend these sort of unique uh, long-term care difficulties to it. Precisely, yes. Uh, so I, where do most of, you know, you, you talked about how you have cars being shipped in from all over the country, and I imagine all over the world. Uh, is there, I mean, is it, is California the plurality of them, or, or is it just like at this point after, you know, maybe the cars have changed hands once or twice, is it just completely all over the place now? It's pretty much all over the place. We don't see many out of the Midwest, but East Coast, West Coast, that's where most of the cars come from. And uh, we even get um, sub-assemblies shipped to us uh, globally, uh, Japan, China, uh, Europe, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the power electronics module, for example. To properly rebuild that requires about 50 component changes and engineering problems that need to be resolved. And we've really perfected that. So what people end up doing is putting their power electronics module in a crate and shipping it across the world for a complete rebuild. Wow, that reminds me. Yeah, that's like, uh, I guess it's cheaper than sending the whole car <laughs> at that point. It is, yes. Um, what about software? I mean, the, the original Roadsters weren't completely driven, you know, completely operated through a touchscreen in the same way that... Uh, that the cars, the, the S's, X's, threes and Y's are now, but they, you know, there was a, there was a, a touchscreen in the car that, that did serve some functions. Like in, in your experience have, is that software pretty stable over the long term, or have there been like bugs that have cropped up that are now more or less impossible to fix? I'm just curious if there's any interesting information you can share there. Sure. The firmware in the Roadster is uh, fairly simple compared to, uh, you know, current firmware that runs on the later Tesla models. The only thing that we came across a couple of years ago was a firmware bug. And um, that was another interesting story, by the way. We were trying to get a hold of Tesla 
Um, <clears throat> so you, you found a bug in the firmware. Some, some customer had an issue with the car that you, you traced to a firmware bug? Correct. And um, the bug actually uh, was the type where the software would uh, lose its place and uh, corrupt itself. So um, we could not make any headway at the local service centers. And uh, we even went to corporate and finally got a hold of some of the people that were involved or the person that was involved in the original Roadster firmware design. The problem at Tesla is um, they have very strict NDAs and uh, people are terrified to talk to what could be a competitor because yeah. of this, um, uh, because of the NDA enforcement, which is very strict at Tesla. And, you know, rightfully so, everybody and their brother on the planet wants their intellectual property. They're all trying to make electric cars, and Tesla definitely has the edge and, you know, one leg up on the competition. So um, I asked this person, I said, look, we've got a bug. I'd love to share it with you. Um, how, how do we get this done? And he says, well, I can't even talk to you about it. So I said, well, <laughs> who do I need to talk to to get your permission? He said, well, I can't even tell you that. Wow. Well, I happen to have Elon's cell number. So I got a hold of Elon that Friday, and I explained to him what was going on. Like he actually picked up the phone when you he called? He did, yes. And uh, <laughs> when, when you talk to Elon, he's usually uh, grumpy and busy. He's got a lot on his mind. But once I explained to him that this is a win-win for us and for Tesla, we've got a bug, and we really need to talk to the godfather of firmware. He said, all right, um, send me the information. I sent him the email, his phone number. Monday morning, I got a call from this individual, and he said, well, you've gone to the right person. I can help you now. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story that is. Yeah. But wow, to answer that's... your question, you know, how, how is the firmware? How is the software? The first thing that you have to consider working on EVs is you really need three distinct skills, and they may not all be in, um, inherent in one individual. You definitely need the ability to do wrenching which is the sure. traditional way of working on, uh, you know, ICE vehicles. You, um, uh, you also need some electronics background and experience because so much of the car is in the world of electronics. You've got power electronic modules, a three-phase inverter. You've got vehicle management systems. You even have intelligent door handles in the Model S that operate off of LIN signals, software, firmware, and all that. Which brings me to the third skill that you should really have, which is software. And again, finding all three of those skills in one individual has been daunting for us, although we've been able to do that to a degree. Um, which brings me to another subject, which is we've done videos on this. We believe that the migration from ICE to EV is going to be a long, arduous one because of all of the additional skills that are required. Um, Makes a lot of sense, yeah. You know, we, we are constantly looking for, and we don't know whether to call them um, um, uh, to call them technicians or to call them mechanics. But we're always looking for people to work on these cars. And I can't go to the traditional dealerships and poach people. I can't go to, uh, um, uh, to universities or community colleges or even trade schools because they're not yet teaching the relevant EV stuff that people need to work on these, on these uh, types of cars. So you need like basically the, the self-starting self-trained savants at this point. Pretty much, yes. And um, if you get somebody in electronics that knows components, that has a double E degree, 
those aren't the same people that are going to be comfortable going out on the shop floor and crawling underneath a car and working on, uh, you know, the battery or the suspension. So um, it really does take a team of people to work on these cars. Pete, I've got a few more questions for you here before I'll let you go. And and I sure. want to conclude on the on uh, the Roadster service by asking you about what your advice is to anybody that's considering buying an original Roadster. Because, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I know I keep mentioning DeLorean, uh, but in this case, I actually have a relevant reason to do so. You know, you may have heard that the DeLorean has announced that they're going to resurrect the car as a, you know, totally new electric car. And the, and they're going to price it at $175,000, which I think is a catastrophic mistake. And I say that as a longtime DeLorean owner. But the, the Roadster is still, all these years later, the only way to get an EV sports car until roads, until Tesla builds the new roadster and, and maybe DeLorean actually, you know, gets a car out at whatever price it's going to be. It's the the original roadster is still the only all electric sports car on the market. So, you know, there, there's a lot of desire there. It's the, it's the only car, the only EV you can drive with an open top and just go, you know, go cruise. So, for anybody out there that is considering buying an original Roadster at this moment in time, as you're seeing the value start to go up, what should those people know? I mean, you've already educated us with regard to proactive maintenance and what have you, but just some general advice. I'm curious. Sure. You know, one of the um, uh, the things to consider is um, in an EV, um, mileage is not as important as it is in an ICE vehicle. In an ICE vehicle, you have 2,000 moving parts, bearings, gears, bushings, gaskets, you know, all sorts of things that wear out. In an EV, uh, mileage isn't as important. It's more about age. Yeah. Uh, the electronics. You have electrolytic, um, you have electrolytic capacitors in the cars that have an eight-year shelf life. Those are going to age whether you're driving it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the advice to someone looking to purchase a Roadster, I would say that uh, I would very carefully vet the seller to see what condition or how the car has been kept. If the car has been outside in the weather, uh, getting wet, for example, um, and driven in four seasons, you're going to have a completely different set of challenges than someone that has kept their Roadster in a garage. Some of them are even climate control garages they take the um, they take the windshield wiper off and won't take it out in the rain. That's a good sign, and they have taken care of the proactive deferred maintenance. Uh, that owner is typically the one that uh, you want to buy your roadster from. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's uh, I, <laughs> boy, I couldn't I couldn't imagine. It, it actually pains me to think about a road an original roadster that sits outside in force in, in a four season situation. That's that hurts me as a Tesla fan to think about. And uh, it, it, um, it's actually one of the engineering problems that we found is, um, you know, the design of the roadster, it was a prototype that was pushed into the field before it was ready. I know that's a strong, powerful statement, but Tesla will concur. There were um, design elements that never quite made it into production in the roadster. But um, the one Achilles heel we find is the charge port door, for example, which is where the Lotus Elise gas cap used to be. Mm-hmm. That had become the charge port door with, a, with a, some electronics behind it. There is an LED ring behind it. 
and a uh, socket and a connector. It turns out that when water runs down the car, it migrates into that connector housing and it can corrode that connector because there's constant voltage on that. Oh, boy. So that's just one of many things that uh, you know will affect storage of a Roadster. So I want to ask you before I let you go, uh, you mentioned this at the top and, and something that's going to be relevant to a, a much larger percentage of my audience is the, the Model S. Now, again, as those early Model S's have come out of their factory warranties and even come out of their extended warranties, and in actually in the earliest cases, even their eight-year battery and drivetrain warranties, you said, as you mentioned at the top, you've started servicing the Model S's too. So how has that been for your company and what have you learned? Well, um, what we've learned is that the that the lifespan of the battery pack seems to be uh, consistent with what we're seeing with the Roadster. No one really knows yet what the what the lifespan of the of the Model S battery pack is going to be. Those are also eighteen six fifty cells, by the way. What we're seeing is um, we're seeing aberrations where a cell goes bad in the battery pack, or the seals in the battery pack have become compromised and water ingress occurs or some of the electronics are failing inside the battery pack. Now, Tesla, as any manufacturer, has gone through a number of gyrations with their design. And some of the things can be predicted um, in the design lab. And then other things, you have to wait till the product gets out in the field, and then you get some more aha experiences. Yeah. The, um, for a person buying a used Model S, for example, which some of them are out of warranty now, 2012s and 2013s, it's a safe bet that all of the uh, design flaws have been flushed out during the eight-year drivetrain warranty. Um, so there won't be any big surprises. The big surprise is, however, the lifespan of the propulsion battery pack. And that right now is a big problem for Tesla because they don't repair it at the service centers. And the only solution is swapping the entire pack for $22,000. Occasionally, they have a refurbished pack available from $14,000 to $17,000-$18,000. But remember, a 2012-2013 Model S may only be worth $30,000. So it represents a pretty large proportionate expense. What about the uh, the threes and the whys? Because, you know, in talking to you and, and sort of seeing your progression here, the, the threes and the whys are inevitably going to come out of warranty at some point. And uh, is your business theoretically has a chance to, to grow by quite a lot in the coming years if you keep at it. So is that part of the plan for you in the long term is to start servicing threes and whys? Oh, very much so. Um, we already service those models if it's an aftermarket uh, product that the customer wants installed. Uh, custom suspension, for example. Um, you know, the, the, um, uh, the trim pieces, the carbon fiber pieces, things like that. Um, the, um, the work that we've done on the threes and the Ys uh, and the Xs, actually, indicate that Tesla continues to improve the design. They're learning as they go. And things get better and better. Um, For us, it is not always just going to be Tesla because of all of the other EV platforms and manufacturers that are coming online. Um, You know, once you become good at fixing a Roadster, 
you're going to be fairly good at the Model S, the other yeah. platforms, and of course, the other brands that are now uh, jumping on the bandwagon. We won't see that business until they come out of warranty, unless it's, again, aftermarket type, uh, you know, enhancements. Well, the future is bright for you. That's the good news. That's You've, you've sort of... Uh... Lucked isn't the right word because you've you know you've applied skill and uh, you've been very smart about it. But yeah, you've you've got yourself uh, sitting pretty here. Uh, what's but P? Before I let you go, what's your favorite, your personal favorite Roadster configuration? Like paint color, interior color, original two thousand eight one point or on up to the two point five variant. What do you have a favorite? You know, I I wish I could give you an answer to that, but I'm the test driver here. And uh, so I drive a different color roadster every week or more. <laughs> and um, I, um, I develop a preference for all of them. I never thought I'd like Arctic white, for example. Then I drove it and I realized what could be done to the car, like whiting out the rear taillights, for example, putting a decal on the side, even uh, you know, changing the wheel colors to something bright. So it does vary. Um, I, I guess if I had a favorite, it would be the only insane green roadster in the United States, which is VIN number 100. Hmm. It was originally owned by the Fresh and Easy um, uh, CEO and uh, then went into private ownership uh, in Chicago. The car came out here for with a dead battery. We rebuilt not only the PEM, repaired the PEM, rebuilt it, but we got the battery functioning again. It is the brightest green in the Tesla Roadster lineup. There is a um, lightning green, which was only done in 2011. But this insane green is kind of like the Lamborghini green. Um, Oh, wow. And uh, in Europe, there are about four or five of them. But here in the U.S., only one of them actually was painted at the factory, that particular color. And uh, the reason I say that's probably my favorite is when I was test driving that, um, I got a lot of attention on the road. I actually took it to a Lamborghini dealership and parked it out in front of the building <laughs> just to get some pictures of the other Lamborghinis. And within sure. five minutes, I had the entire building sales floor cleared and everybody was clustering around the car asking questions. Oh, that's great. That's what it's all about. You know, just the sharing the love of cars. I love hearing that story. Yeah. Well, uh, Pete, you've hung in with me for nearly an hour here, which I appreciate. So let's get you a plug before you go. Where can people find you to learn more and maybe even get in touch with you as well? Okay. Our website has a gallery of Roadster pictures that I highly recommend to anyone interested in seeing how beautiful these cars are. Uh, It is GruberMotors.com, and uh, the heading you want is gallery. If you're looking to buy one, we have a uh, Roadster matchmaking. There's a tab for that. If you're interested in the evolution of Tesla and the vehicles and the Roadster and how we do things, we have a huge YouTube channel, which is Gruber Motor Company. And then, of course, my social media team always wants me to give you all the other platforms around from TikTok to Instagram to Facebook and all of that. Um, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, well, you know, uh, go ahead. yeah. So anyone interested, we answer our phones, feel free to call us. We give advice freely, tech support. Um, we're there for the community. And that's, boy, you, you just summed it up in a heart. And that's why I love that. I mean, I just love that. 
because that's what it's all about. That's what I mean. That's a big reason why I I started this podcast and continue to do it week in and week out, is because I love the community and and people like you and your company. I, it's you're providing such a valuable service in in keeping not only the cars physically alive and on the road, but the spirit of them as well, which I really do uh, commend you for and appreciate. So, Pete, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And thank you. I really appreciate Pete making the time to have that conversation with me, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Hey, at the top of the show, I forgot to mention that I will be back live, quote-unquote live, for next week's episode. Now that I, as you hear this, I'm back, so I'll be back to my normal routine, covering all the latest and greatest in the world of Tesla for next week. Uh, But for now, I'm not quite done. As far as what I'm up to with my car, my hope is that while I'm away... There was a new FSD beta build to install from my hotel room because I have to say I've had that happen a few times where I've been away and there's been a new software update. It always feels like complete magic to me when I can update my car from thousands of miles away. It just it feels like the future and I love it. Oh, hey, uh, before I get to the pro tip of the week. How about an entertainment recommendation? And I want to recommend a game. I know I try to keep it family friendly. But this week, I want to mention Grand Theft Auto V, which just came out uh, again for the third time, but specifically tailored for the Xbox Series X and as well as the Series S and the PlayStation 5. Because GTA V, to me, it is still one of the greatest games of all time. And on the new consoles, if you're fortunate enough to have one, because they've been so hard to track down, the stock, the supply of them has been uh, just impossible. If you've got a new console, boy, this game, it still feels new, even though it's now nine years old. It's crazy. GTA V has now spanned three console generations. And to that end, I hadn't really sat down and played through the campaign since it originally came out back on the 360. So I've been having a really fun time going back through GTA 5 and the single player campaign there. Again, this one's definitely not okay for the whole family. I'll get back to having more family-friendly entertainment recommendations next week. But if you are, uh, you know, you've got some, some solo gaming time, maybe after the kids go to bed... I definitely can't recommend GTA 5 enough, particularly this new release on the new consoles. If you've never, particularly if you've never played it before, I mean, there there are certainly people out there that uh, you know maybe you only just recently got into gaming and you never picked up GTA 5. It is awesome. With that, how about an awesome pro tip of the week? It comes from Joe in Toledo. Take it away, Joe. Hi, Ryan. This is Joe from Toledo. Big fan of the podcast and a first time caller. I want to give a tip to other listeners regarding insurance. Fortunately, I was involved in an accident in January where my Tesla Model 3 was hit by a driver who crossed the divider and struck me going roughly 50 miles an hour. My car was totaled, um, but thankfully the Model 3 I drove lived up to all the safety hype, and I walked away from the accident almost injury-free. I did have a small puncture in my lung from the airbag, but no surgery was required. I just needed time for it to heal on its own. If there are any Tesla employees listening to this, thank you for all your work making this the safest car. Since the accident, I've had, I have become much more familiar with how vehicle insurance works. Unbeknownst to me, I had coverage called new car replacement, 
uh, through Nationwide that really saved me. I was paying roughly $3 a month for this additional coverage, and instead of getting a fair market value check for my vehicle, which I think would have been roughly $35,000 to $40,000, they paid 100% of the cost of a replacement Model 3. This $3 per month saved me roughly twenty eight dollars to $33,000 for the same car. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I don't believe Tesla's insurance program offers this new car replacement option. I was considering changing to Tesla's insurance before the accident, but I'm thankful that I did not. In my opinion, this new car replacement insurance is a must for people buying new Teslas. Lastly, I wanted to get your opinion on FSD. I did pay $6,000 for FSD on the totaled car and worked through the safety score headaches to get in the beta program. I was very disappointed to learn that the beta FSD would not transfer to my new replacement Model 3. I've been grinding away trying to get into the FSD program again, but it seems like Tesla hasn't been letting anyone into the program since December now. I really wish I could get back in, but I feel like I may have to wait a while. Do you think it would make sense for Tesla to tie the FSD to a purchaser rather than a vehicle? Seems like this would reward those who invested in the technology early and really helped fund the development of the software. Thanks for everything you do, Ryan. Hope Daisy is having a great day. Joe, I am so happy to hear that you're safe after your accident. Your car did its job to perfection. I mean, it is the safest car the United States government has ever tested. Thank you for that tip on the new car replacement coverage that you've got. Is literally, as soon as I finished listening to your call, I sent an email to my insurance agent. I'm with State Farm, and uh, they do not offer this. So it's uh, they they say oh they'll pay cash value and I, I'm honestly I'm I don't think I'm gonna like change providers because of it although if I ever am tempted to to move to a different provider then that'll definitely be something I I consider with my next one but I think everybody listening should email or or contact their their insurance provider and see if that is something that that is uh, attainable because you know with new car prices going up across the board it certainly seems like a small manageable monthly expense you said it was like 3 bucks a month that would make a ton of sense should the worst case scenario happen and hopefully it won't but if it does happen it sounds like you know it, it really quite literally paid off for you now as for tying full self driving to you rather than the car well, everybody wants to see that, and hopefully Tesla is going to give the community what they want on that at some point sooner rather than later, but uh, only time will tell on that. Thank you for, very much for your call, Joe. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and the rest of the Ride the Lightning audience, please do call in with it. I guess uh, since I had the interview this week, I didn't give you the usual call-in information, but you can find it in uh, the the usual in the podcast notes. It's it's always available to you there. But I will pull up the phone number for you real quick as well. You would think I would just immediately have it memorized. But no, I do need to double check my notes because I'm, I'm afraid I'll mess it up. But here we go. You can either email, you can either record your question on your smartphone, on the voice recording software on your smartphone, uh, you know, your, your Ride the Lightning hotline question or your pro tip of the week, and then email that file to me at unlocked at IGN. <laughs> unlocked. That's the other podcast. That's the Xbox podcast. That's my day job. Let me try that again. 
How about teslapodcast at gmail.com? I mean, technically, you could send it to my IGN uh, <laughs> alias, and I'll get it because I'm the one that checks that email book. But please send it to teslapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, alternatively, you can call and leave a message with that call. Uh, just just call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free number. Dial at any time. And the number is one 888 989-8752. Again, one triple eight nine eight nine tsla Let me mention some friends of the podcast that can hopefully help you out here before I get going, starting with abstractocean.com, makers of so many excellent and useful aftermarket Tesla accessories, whether it's something related to lighting, interior or exterior lighting. Maybe you want to up the brightness on the inside of the car, uh, the you know the the um, you know the accent lighting, you want it brighter because it's like it's I like it in my car, but I I wish it were a little brighter and more prominent. So you know that's an option for you. You can even change the color. It doesn't have to be white LED light. You could pick another color. So they've got all that kind of stuff. Uh, they've got the tempered glass screen protectors that they're on their fourth revision of now. Those are better than ever. They've got the drop-in cup holder stabilizer too to keep that that uh, smaller cup or, or you know w- metal bottle water bottle from rattling around in your cup holder. All kinds of stuff. So go to abstractocean.com. You can browse by vehicle S three X or Y, and then when you get everything you want in your cart, use the coupon code RTL Podcast at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTL Podcast, all one word, no spaces in there. If you need a front license plate that is removable, but also secure, not the one that Tesla gives you that actually sticks to the front of the car and your paint with automotive adhesive, ugh, that just (laughs) gives me the shudders thinking about it. Grab yourself a snap plate and the place to get it is everyamp.com slash RTL. Again, that's everyamp.com slash RTL. That's the front license plate bracket that you want that you can take on and off with no damage to the paint, to the radiator, the grill. Like it's not gonna mess with anything or interfere with anything. Highly recommend it if you are in a state that requires that front license plate. You can take it off pretty easily with the secure included tools for car shows or car washing, but put it back on if you're going to be parked at a parking meter, something like that. So check that out. Meanwhile, at Budget Safe Solar, every Tesla owner I know, uh, including me, has a pretty good idea. If not, you know the exact cost of the electricity that your car uses. In fact, the Tesla app tracks that for you now. If you've if you've inputted all the correct values for what your utility uh, provider charges, you can go in and do that in your Tesla app. But anyway, uh, you know it based on today's electric grid rates. Nobody knows how much these rates are going to go up over the next 5, 10, 15 years, except people with solar. So if you've thought about getting solar at your home or your office, uh, you want to contact friend of the show, Budget Safe Solar, at budgetsafesolar.com. Their, their sort of motto is capping tomorrow's energy costs today, which I actually think is a, you know, I'm saying it in a cheeky announcer voice, but I think that's a smart way to, to phrase it because, you know, I think if you're listening to this podcast, odds are if you don't 
If you're not actively shopping for solar, you're probably at least considering it or open to it. So check out budgetsafesolar.com if you're ready, you know, if and when the time comes that you're ready to, to do solar. And hey, if you're considering entering the growing field of solar, they'd like to hear from you as well. So again, learn more slash reach out at budgetsafesolar.com. And if you're going to go ahead with a purchase, don't forget the referral code RTL on that order should you proceed. How about Immaculate Reflections? Treat your car to a spa day if you're going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. No one is better than Immaculate Reflections. There are many wonderfully talented detailers, including just here in the Bay Area, the greater San Francisco Bay Area. But uh, Immaculate Reflections, what a what a talent and, and what an attention to detail. And just what a great person Jeff is well. Jeff, Jeff McGovern, the owner and proprietor there. He's offering a discount as he has been for the last, what, I guess couple years now, maybe even a little more. If you are a Ride the Lightning listener, there's a nice little discount if you book any detailing work at Immaculate Reflections. So maybe you want to do paint protection film over some or all of the car. Maybe you want to do ceramic coating, aka the sort of next generation wax. And maybe you want to do a paint correction, maybe a couple of those or all of those. Get in touch via the website irdetailing.com. Mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener and that discount is waiting for you. PureTesla.com slash RTL. Your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. The uh, dash cam and sentry mode do constant reading and writing. So a regular USB flash memory is uh, not going to last forever. But a the micro SD based solution that Pure Tesla uses is going to last a very, very, very long time. I'm using it in my car. I have been for a couple years now. Get yours at puretesla.com slash RTL. 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit. 69 bucks for the 256 gigabyte kit. Comes fully formatted, out of the package, ready to go, straight into the car, plug and play. Free shipping anywhere in the US. They also sell nice, uh, slim, low profile wireless game controller kit as well if you do a lot of gaming in your Tesla with all with the many included games uh, with our cars. Don't forget Jada. They've got a whole line of great Tesla accessories, including the Jada USB hub console for those of you with the newer Model 3s and Model Ys. It's a storage organizer, USB hub, Apple watch charger, and AirPod charger all in one. For the older cars, there's the Jada tray. I've got one in my car, which is the center it's a tech-focused center console organizer. It's got uh, wireless charging for your Apple Watch, your Pixel Buds, Apple AirPods. Very nice. I'm very happy with mine. No tools. It just drops right in. Fits snugly. Looks great. Looks looks original. Looks factory, which I'm into. And then the wireless charging pad for your smartphone. If you've got an older Model 3 like me that where your car didn't come with a wireless charging pad uh, out of the factory. Coupon code for Jada is RTL. That's going to get you a nice discount. And the link to use, please order through this link. It's my referral link. And it is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A. Finally, the Patreon, let me mention that. Uh, That is the way through which I would love for you to support the podcast. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next pay cycle. Maybe, you know, sometime in the future, 
perhaps you will see fit to uh, to throw me the support on Patreon. It's voluntary. You know, nothing's ever locked behind a paywall. As far as the regular podcast goes, I just try to offer bonuses, extras, perks, fun things for those people that are uh, able to back me on Patreon. You can find all the information for that on my Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash Podcast. Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. The support tiers start at just five bucks a month. What is that? That's like uh, one coffee at Starbucks at this point, right? So, you know, maybe uh, maybe you'll you'll like you'll like that because you'll get, you know, you, you do get early access to the show if you even at that very base tier. But it goes on up. More perks, more fun, more interesting stuff. So do take a look sometime. I'd be humbled and grateful if you would. And finally, before I go, let me, of course, say hello and thank you to the highest uh, tiers of the Patreon highest tier backers. Starting with Plaid, hello and thank you to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peak, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla owners club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Rick Dean, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado, B-A-E-R, Bear Boys. Thank you all very much. And a thank you as well to the Maximum Plaid tier backers. They are Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, John Schmidt, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron Huxley, John Cody, Aaron, Sonar Tech 77, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, and Chris Osborne. Thank you all very much. And finally, the Roadster in Space tier backers. They get all the perks, including a monthly one-on-one hangout with me, should they uh, choose to take it. Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Nydig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Crafty Geek, Richard Stokes, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacovetto, and Tesla Hitchhiker 42. Big thanks to all of you and to everybody for listening. I know, uh, you know, you'd probably prefer I'm here covering the the you know latest and greatest Tesla news. But again, I do humbly thank you for uh, listening to this episode while I've 
been just taking a little time away with my family. I think, you know, if you'll pardon the phrase, recharging the batteries is a good thing. I mean, I, I take a lot of pride in making sure that there is new content. There is an episode for you to listen to every single week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, and I, you know, I try to, I try to work around that a little by having these, I call them vacation episodes where I prepare them ahead of time and I, I do get a little time off, but the show keeps coming anyway. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know the timing was really weird on this one. It actually, it just did not work out in my favor because, uh, I guess full transparency here, little, little, uh, peek behind the curtain, little, uh, inside baseball. I'm recording this before I'm recording episode 349 because I had, I had to record 349 on Thursday night, April 7th, because we left on our trip first thing Friday morning, April 8th. And of course the Giga Texas grand opening, the, the, uh, cyber fest, I forget, I'm from blanking on the name, but off the top of my head again, it's late. Oh my goodness. Anyway, the Giga Texas event was the night of the 7th, the night I recorded. So as I sit here, I don't even know if I was able to get any of that content into episode 349 because, uh, you know, I had to get the show done and get packed up and get my family out the door first thing the next morning. So again, uh, forgive me if I have still have not yet been able to cover the Giga Texas grand opening if I haven't, if I wasn't able to just sneak something in, depending on if it was live streamed, if Elon spoke at the event, and maybe I was able to squeeze something in that night for episode 349. But if not, I will uh, recap the high points on 351 next week since, I mean, by 351, it's going to be a little stale, right? I mean, uh, to be honest with myself on that. But in any case... Uh, I am doing my best. I am, again, <laughs> trying to put in a full effort even when I'm not there, even when I'm away with my family. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm rambling now, so I'm going to stop. But for Daisy the Boxer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was episode 350. And thank you again to my guest, Pete Gruber, for taking a lot of time out of his day to talk to me about his life with the Tesla Roadster and his role his unique role in the Tesla community. So thank you to Pete. Thanks to everybody and happy electric motoring. And I will see you back here, back to the regular format, regular schedule next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.